0: Logical Progression, Year 3, Chapter 12, Lesson 11 Bismillah, Alhamdulillah So, just to make it very clear what's happening today um, So, uh, from obviously the weekend we covered two quite significant chapters of fiqh right? Um, these two chapters were the, um, the chapter of to Najasa which is the removal of filth and najasa and then what comes after that in the classical books of fiqh is Kitab al-Hiyad. Kitab al-Hiyad means the book of menstruation. So with that being done, uh, I mean, it was obviously a very intensive weekend and I'm sure that the people who uh, uh, you know who were there <laughs> felt that intensity. Um, and so therefore, I think that what we can um, safely say that all the fiqh has been covered, the law, the evidences, the reasoning, the scholarliness yani at play, that's what logical progression is all about. And so therefore, um, uh, You know that is the uh, the most important thing that we did. However, we didn't get time to do all the questions and answers due to the nature of the topic. And again, let me make it very clear: if you're listening to this with your family or with other people around, then you very much need to uh, obviously put on headphones or get folks out there. Whatever, uh, men and women only, adults should be listening to this. It's certainly not as explicit as what the weekend was. I can say the cl- the, ch- the questions have been checked, and they're not they're not like that. But still. um, uh, but uh, still uh, uh, it is a bit explicit, I would say, however, it is obligatory knowledge, and these questions are very good ones and very important ones and so therefore um, we are going to uh, how can I say we are going to uh, not shy away from answering them, and they 're certainly, as I said, a lot more easier to um, to deal with theity yeah, to the ear than what some of the content on the weekend was um, and as I said, the uh, questions will be covering some of them are covering the removal of filth. And others are covering specifically menstruation. Okay. Um, What I would like you to do, uh, what I'd like you to remember, and this is very important. Um, that I'm not giving detailed answers or, or detailed evidences because all of the evidences were covered on the weekend Okay, so what these questions are is is basically the kind of the cherry on top Everyone has done all the hard work and now they just want to make sure that they understood it So they ask their question they get the answer that they think that they were expecting and then when I give it It confirms that they understood the subject correctly and so I do want you to know that obviously those uh, These questions here. There's 50 odd 50 plus questions Um, They were submitted anonymously due to the nature of the subject. We gave them an anonymous link and there are questions from the students in principle. However, concentrate, I will read the question out and you will hear your question yourself. You will hear it repeated, um, you know, you probably have these kind of questions anyway, especially the sisters. But like I said, the brothers shouldn't um, treat it in some kind of uh, insignificant fashion. So, Bismillah, let's start straight away. Then, the first question is, if one is in a public toilet and urinates, and the urine spreads onto the thighs, is washing necessary, yani washing the, the urine necessary, or is this wiping it clean enough? Like with a tissue, you just dry it or whatever. Because I find it normal for me to spread, but I'm not sure if this is for women in general. And the reason this sister is asking this question is because in the chapter of Izalat al-Najasa, it is one of the positions of sheik al-Uthameen, rahmatullah, that one, um, that the concept of istijmar, which is the cleaning of the private parts, with something dry such as uh, tissue paper, classically used to be stones or uh, clods of earth or whatever. So sometimes, as you know, if you compare the cleaning of the private parts between water, which is called istinja, as you all call it, we, we call it istinja, don't we, as packs? Yeah, istinja. So istinja is yani, when we clean it with water and istijmar is when we clean it with something solid. Solid here, as I said, refers to, you know, clods of earth, you know, that mukti that we use or uh, some kind of stone or something like that. But in our modern time, times, obviously referring to tissue paper. Now, as you will know, uh, when it comes to cleaning, water is what cleans properly and uh, completely re- removes every kind of trace of, of filth. Whereas when you use something solid, there's always going to be residue left. And the question is posed, is it sufficient to be able to you know, put your, your underwear back on and get, carry on and make your wudu and pray, Whilst you know that there's still filth, residue, small amounts left on the private parts or surrounding the private parts. So, this is one of the famous masail in uh, fiqh, one of the, the major, one of the famous issues. And Sheikh Uthaymeen has this opinion that uh, once istijmar has been done, once the process has been done, one cannot, it's impossible to actually get rid of all of the uh, uh, filth. And so, therefore, small, uh, insignificant, what we call tiny traces are yurfah and they are pardoned. Um, so, as to say, and so the sister is making the extensions. So what about when urine then exceeds and goes over the thighs and so on? And I made it very clear in the weekend that this ruling is only really, in principle, applying to the actual area of the private parts itself. Some people did say that if it starts to spread um, uh, via sweat or via uh, some other kind of liquid, it starts to spread to the rest of the areas. Then that should be okay as well. And Sheikh Al kind of intimated that, but he made it very clear that this would be something very, very small and insignificant. And so, to answer your question, sister, uh, this washing is necessary. The spreading of the urine that you're referring to is significant urine, and it it's not sufficient just to wipe. It needs to be washed and properly and cleaned properly. Um, and I would advise myself and everyone who's listening that the Prophet ﷺ said in one of uh, in an authentic narration that. الأذاب, that the majority of the punishment, when it comes to the punishment in the grave, is because of urine. And the Nabi when he passed the, by the grave, and he said, "That's yani. This is the, uh, they're being punished for two things. And one of those, one of this was Ghiba or namima, slandering other people. And so we need to be very careful about that. And the other one, of course, is that yani min He didn't make sitar or, 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 or he didn't uh, prevent." himself from the urine and some scholars interpreted this in very various ways but the most correct position is that it refers to that Hidden wasn't careful she or he or she uh referring to us today uh, must be careful about how they urinate they don't splash it back onto themselves or leak or whatever This just need to be very very aware so i hope that that answers the question please confirm that this is still working and still smooth because i have decided to use a different internet connection so i'm not sure whether this is as Uh, Smooth as or if it even is recording as properly as it should be So let me know when you hear the question uh, Asked properly and you hear answered properly that is actually working and the signal is strong And if it isn't then I will then change it and also on the LP uh, portal side Let's make sure that we have feedback uh, there as well The next question is how do we remove vaginal discharge from undergarments whether it is white or yellow? Can we just rub it off? Can we just rub it with a wet finger? Can we just sprinkle water on it? Or do we have to wash it by pour, by pouring water upon this? So before I answer this question, it's very important that we talk about what what actually vaginal discharge is. Vaginal discharge is something which there's a lot of confusion over. Um, and so when we talk about vaginal discharge, we're referring to the phrase رتوبة الفرج المرأة يعني we're talking about Uh, stuff which can be translated as vaginal moisture or cervical mucus or we can call it um, uterine mucus or we can call it vaginal mucus, or we can call it vaginal discharge. All of these names are synonyms of one another. They all mean the same thing. And this is a fluid which is normal. And this is the key, because normally discharges are seen as something abnormal, especially when you put it into the category of istihada, which is vaginal irregular bleeding or abnormal uterine bleeding. This is the bleeding which goes on for days and days, and is very red, it's very clean, doesn't smell, and so on. Uh, vis-a-vis, for example, the... Um, uh, uh, vis-a-vis the uh, uh, um, menstrual blood. Menstrual blood can be all different types of... Because it's more thicker, because it's the endometrium breaking down, so it's not just blood. So it's cells, it's membranes, it's, it's you know, it's a lot of stuff. It's the entire endometrium, the entire uterine wall uh, 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 lining breaking down. And so therefore, it's... Uh, uh, I, I, what can I say? It's... Um, Composition is much more thicker. It's already clotted inside, so when it comes out, it doesn't clot. Whereas when you bleed istihada, when you bleed irregularly, then when that comes out, that does begin to clot because it's almost like venous bleeding. And actually, if you are with a background like uh, uh, like our background, when it's from, uh, from from a physiological background, you can see. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out here actually to Solange who sent some really good uh, diagrams to uh, clarify this. Um, the difference between if you look at the the uterus, if you ever look at a picture of the uterus, the uterine wall itself, um, you will either have the bleeding of menses, which is the lining on the wall, which then comes apart and disintegrates. As I said, it's full of physical matter, and it is more thicker in composition, and therefore it's already kind of clotted, quote-unquote, vis-a-vis irregular vaginal bleeding or uterine bleeding, which is actually bleeding from the, the capillaries, or via the vessels within the actual uterine wall itself and so from that for that so for for that reason it is far more cleaner far more red and uh uh its smell is not pungent it's not offensive and it's very important for us to be able to differentiate between these two so that we don't understand discharge in some kind of normative way or, or, or that discharge is the same for everything no you have menses which is that red dark uh brown dark, black, uh, 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 clotted, very bad smell type of blood, blood that is well known. And then you have uh, istihadah, which is irregular bleeding, which is what happens often post your menstruation. And it is much more thinner, much more fluidy, much very red because it's venous as such. It clots on the outside and it can go on for quite a long period of time. And it comes and goes and doesn't have a set schedule and that's the, as, as its features. You have the famous and well-known a white discharge, which comes out straight after men- menses, it, is, it, is, it signifies in, half, in at least half, maybe the majority of women, it signifies the end of the menses. This is what Aisha radiallahu anha called al the white discharge. And some of the scholars call it a tuhur because it's the thing which indicates the purity and the end of the menses. And this is a very whitish, very clear whitish discharge. Um, and it can sometimes have a bit of yellow in it as well. Then you have yellow-brown discharges, which are very important to understand because they can happen sometimes as part of the menses and it happens before the white discharge comes out. If that happens, then it's part of the menstrual cycle and it must be considered, so you can't pray. Or it occurs after the white discharge has come out. And if it happens after the white discharge, then remember what we said, the white discharge is the end of the period. And so therefore, if it comes out afterwards, then it shows that it's not part of the period. And as in the hadith of Um anha, she said, we did not used to consider it to be anything. Yani We did not consider it to mean anything. Meaning, it's not considered to be menses and one would make wudu when it comes out and pray as per normal. So this is the brown, what we call a sufra wal kudra. This is what ummatiya called it. The brown and white kind of clots discharge. And then you have the general vaginal discharge, which is the mucus of the uh, vagina and it is something which is healthy and, and, and necessary, of course, for a healthy environment in there to allow for lubrication. And so it's a normal secretion. It's like as healthy even though it might not you know we might not find it as something which is you know appealing but neither do we find mucus or nasal mucus or snot or whatever you call it you might consider that to be you know undesirable but it plays a very important role if few people have been on certain types of medication medication is my specialty there are some medicines that dry up the nasal mu- uh, the, the, uh, uh the nasal secretions and the mucosa inside, when it becomes very, very dry, it is unbelievably painful. And likewise, therefore, the uh, uh, any other uh, orifice, especially the vagina, it needs to be moist. And so, therefore, when it isn't, then we treat it as a problem. So, when it is and it's over lubricating, this is not seen as something uh, problematic. And this is very important to understand the ruling because when it is lubricating, sometimes it can come out, and this is the discharge which comes out, and it's uh, a white, cloudy. Kind of color it has the consistency uh, the the best description for it is like it's like a raw egg the egg white you know that kind of clear kind of color in inconsistency in its uh, uh color in its kind of uh, appearance and it will come and this happens throughout the month in a random way it's not part of the period itself it comes out outside and there is a huge difference of opinion amongst the scholars on this issue and the majority of the scholars they uh, well, First of all, there's two questions that need to be answered. Is it pure and is it uh, something which breaks the model? In terms of its purity, then I can say that the correct position is that it is pure. And this is something which I said, some scholars said it's impure, some said it's pure. I would consider the majority position here that it is pure to be easily the correct and most sensible one. And I don't think that there's any real major discussion. Contemporary scholars today generally take that opinion. But the much more controversial point is this. Oh, by the way, when I say pure, then that means that if it's on the clothes, then one doesn't need to wash it off. One's not obligated to wash it off. That's the definition of pure, meaning that if it comes and you know falls on your underwear or whatever, then one is not obliged to wash it off. That's what me. That's what I mean when I say pure. Um, but the real issue is that when it comes out, does it invalidate the wudu? Do you need to make wudu each time? And the majority of the scholars say you have to make wudu each time. But I, in my position, as I taught on the weekend, I can't see a single strong evidence for this position. In fact, the evidences are to the contrary, and therefore it is my position that vaginal discharge does not break the wudu at all. The vaginal discharge does not break the wudu at all. So the normal vaginal secretions uh, that happen uh, on, a, on a regular basis are not something which break the wudu, and it does not obligate the, cl- the cleaning of the um, of, the under, of the underwear. So back to the question then, how do you remove vaginal discharge from undergarments? whether it is white or yellow. Can we just rub it off? And the answer is if it is dry, then it can be rubbed off and it can be flicked off and that's absolutely no problem. And the remaining area can be wetted. And if it is wet, then we have a precedent that when these fluids are wet, then they are generally washed clean, but it can still be wiped away and just area wetted. What I mean is that it is not an obligation in either case, wet or dry, to take that garment off and have to get it washed properly. One can continue. And even if one does not, Uh, 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 rub it off pick it off or wash it off the prayer is still valid at that time next question is that if by any chance urine or feces soil the undergarments in this way can you do the same answer no feces and urine are clear najasa and they must be washed off completely next question is it permissible to imitate praying out of shyness um, or out of shyness of men so that they don't know that a woman is on her period So, I just want to make a point here. Number one, this is completely impermissible. It is completely impermissible to imitate praying because of shyness. And what I want to say, and there are many reasons for that, but the only thing that we need to really think about, and the only reason that we need to consider, is that it's not your problem, it's men that need to be shy, not the women. This is normal. This is not something to be ashamed of and that's a real issue here. Men are the ones that need to deal with it. If they can't be mature enough to understand that this is something which their own mothers go through and their own wives go through and their daughters will go through, then they're the ones that have got the problem that they need to fix, they're the ones that need to grow up. So no, this is not permissible at all. And this is actually a real backward step. It's a retro kind of step to be thinking, you know, I'm gonna keep pretending to people that I'm praying. There's nothing wrong in not praying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made women this way and it is the men that need to be more mature and be shy and not the women. Um I said that the uh, 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 discharge, as I said, um, does not break the wudu, as I told you. If a woman finished Hayd uh, a day ago, so her menstruation finished a day ago, she does Ghusl and she keeps her fast. But before breaking her fast at Maghrib, she just checks and she sees a very little bit of blood, okay, down below. Does this invalidate the fast? And this is a very common question and a very good one. And the answer to this is that it depends upon the blood. So. It depends upon the blood it depends upon what her cycle normally is so if she has a very regular period every single month from years and years and she knows the time cycle and it happens all the time like this that is only five days never more than five days and for example she always has the white discharge at the end which signifies the end of the period then this is her period and is well known and it becomes what we call her ada, and she is called al mutada she is someone who is got a regular uh, set period If uh, then after a day this blood occurs, we cannot consider this as period because it never happened before and it doesn't look like the period blood and therefore it's written off as what we call istihada, irregular bleeding. One will just make wudhu for that that purpose and carry on praying as per normal. The fast would be valid. However, however, as we said, we always follow the blood. Always follow the blood. The key is the blood. You would check the blood that happened on that day before Maghrib and you would see if in its nature it is something which Actually, looks like the menstrual blood. Its texture is like the menstrual blood. It smells like the menstrual blood. Then it's menstrual. Then it's menstrual blood. It's not something difficult. Looks like it. Smells like it. Feels like it. Then it is. And if it is, then the ruling has to be then taken accordingly. And then one. Cannot ha- should not have prayed that day and the fast on that day is therefore invalid and therefore there needs to be made up another day if it was an obligatory fast so i hope you understand it's all about the blood if the blood even if the period is regular and this is important even if the period is regular five days and this is the sixth day but the blood is absolutely clearly menstrual blood and the women know they know And if it is Then that is considered Menstrual blood That was a 6th day Of menstruation And any acts of worship During that period of time Is then considered Invalid And that's I hope uh, Clear um, Let me just have, Take a pause And just check uh, uh, From the LP side Are we good yeah. And from the thingy side Because I can't see The comments now on that yeah. It is yeah Okay So uh, Number 6 Going to go a little bit Quicker now Whenever I have Menstruation I still make wudu, Every Salah And I do Dhikr I make wudu every salah and do dhikr. i uh, i do this every time is this considered bid'ah it's a very good question because of course innovation we need to be very careful of and um it might make sense uh, people who might think how why on earth would you do that when you are completely uh, uh, impure so why would you make wudu when it doesn't do anything? Um, the reason that people do this is because they make an analogy from the action of the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would have mar- marital relations and then enter into a state of janabah, he would go and make wudu, he would make istinja and make wudu now that doesn't lift the state of janabah but what it does is you It it lightens it it lightens it so to allow a person to avoid having to make the ghusl there and then but still sleep in a semi-clean state, the angels are not so put off, and so on and so forth. It maintains a healthy environment, quote-unquote, quote in the surroundings. And so what some people thought is that it needs to be uh, uh, compared between the two. But this is a mistake. There is You cannot make the comparison between menses, being in a uh, state of menstruation or in a period, and sexual impurity like the uh, Janaba and for that reason this is a bid'ah. if it was anything of any value then the Prophet ﷺ would have told his wives to do it and and the, the, the women of the Sahaba and Tabi'in would have done it and I want you to remember that they were not shy to ask these kind of questions they were asking these questions all the time all the kind of details but never do we see this question and we don't see a practice so sister you should avoid this Avoid this making of wudu, and what you should do is to carry on with the acts that we know that should be increased when a woman is in her period. We know that the Qur'an recitation can continue. We avoid touching it. We know that dhikr can be increased. Studying should be increased. Tafsir should be increased. Reading and studying, watching videos, etc. etc. And we'll come to a little bit about this later. But uh, making the wudu for every prayer, this should be avoided. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Can a single mother teaching her son to pray, can she mimic the prayer whilst teaching? Yes, this is permissible. This is permissible. Um, Next question, can a woman go into sajda uh, while she is in menstruation? If there is a reason, she can do that for a... Uh, a spiritual thing if she w- wanted to do that um, from some kind of du'a moment but in terms of doing the, the sajda of uh, an act of worship because it is seen in, by the majority of the scholars the sajda tilawa or, or uh, the sajda for the Quran for example is seen as an act of worship um, and it's, and there are some scholars that say you do not require need budur. and there is a discussion amongst the scholars that can a person in Janaba uh, make a sajda tilawa and the difference of opinion upon it is actually quite Difficult, meaning that the evidences to make one position clear over the other are not very good. So, therefore, one should avoid it. And if an ayah one hears or recites that has a says the tilawa should be saved, and then once one becomes pure after making ghusl, then she can then make that uh, those sujood make them up what happens if a sister is bleeding the whole month because of a hormone imbalance or some medical condition if that's the case she treats it like istihada meaning the rulings of irregular bleeding um, and that what that basically means i wrote the article in detail on this please go to uh, uh, ilmsource.com i-l-m-s-o-u-r-c-e.com, com or if you just scroll back down the facebook page you will see the article there and i've covered this in detail of what a person does when they are suffering from istihada istihada is continual irregular bleeding and when that happens then a woman will make that original ghusl to enter into this kind of you know state because you know she's now in this in the state where she's having this continuous bleeding and she will use her sanitary products uh, however she will and she will pray as per normal she will make her normal wudu uh, istinja and wudu and she will pray and she does not according to my opinion Yes, the majority say that she does need to make wudu for every prayer. I believe that the position, that position is untenable. And I believe that um, the the evidences would suggest that she does not have to. It is only recommended. It's not obligated. So if she can, then she can make wudu for every prayer. And she can make, uh, and she can wash her uh, private private yani wash herself as well, but she's not obliged to because that can become very difficult subhanAllah a woman who's bleeding yani all day and for many days to keep having to make istinja wudu for every single beginning prayer can become a bit yani on top and so therefore it is not obligatory, not because of the mashakka, not because of the difficulty but because the evidences which seem to suggest that it has to happen every single prayer are not authentic anyone who says this is hadith narrated by Bukhari, they will see that that is not the actual case um, a Question uh, On day 1 to 4 I have my period On day 5 I have no blood Nothing the whole day And on day 6 I have a few drops of blood Which is brownish And I have the final sign of my period Which is the white uh, discharge And my period cycle is complete This is my period cycle for years Months after month My question, do I need to do ghusl on day 5 This is the day 5 where there was no blood And I pray all 5 pr- prayers on that day 5 and then I then make ghusl again on day six when I've actually definitely finished. I.e., is day five considered to be for my period as well? The answer is that no, that uh, uh, that day five is the cessation of bleeding temporarily. This temporary cessation of bleeding does not cancel out the period. And so you are still in the period cycle. And the period is only complete once it is absolutely stopped. Uh, or when you see qasatul bayda, this white discharge. And because you've seen it and you know it and it's very clear and the blood on the day after is also very clear and the discharge that happens afterwards and the fact that after the discharge nothing then happens in terms of menstrual bleeding makes it very, very clear that day five was only a temporary pause. And for that reason then the prayers in that time are not valid. Fasting is not valid. One waits and is patient until the day six or day seven or day 10 or whatever it is when they know that their final discharge will come to cancel everything out or spotting will finish because spotting might continue. All spotting within a standard regular period cycle however little is considered hailed is considered menstruation one does not pray just because they have one or two days of no blood especially if they know that within the next day they're gonna have the white discharge the only time that you end your period is when that white discharge occurs or when the blood completely stops and it's not followed for by days not followed for days sorry with any further blood that's very very important the women of, of, of the Ansar, they came to Aisha radiallahu anha with the exact same situation and they did not show. Sure, should we start, should we start a prayer, should we start a prayer, should we make ghusl? And Aisha said, why are you being so hasty for? Stop being so hasty, wait until you see this qasatul this white discharge. And if not, then you use the cotton which is inserted. If there's any trace of blood, then uh, then the period maintains itself. And if it is completely dry and completely gone, then at that moment, immediately one, has, one is obliged to make ghusl, no delays, and the prayer starts. Next question, we know for sure that when we have our period, because we know for sure when we have our period, because we can see the blood. But as for the ending, then it could be tricky because we won't know for sure when it stopped. So let's say that I go to work in the morning at eight o'clock. At Fajr, I still had my period. I checked, I still had my period. But at work, from eight a.m. to six p.m., there's no period, and um. There's no period, meaning she's pure now. So from 8 a.m., she's pure, but she's at work. So I reach home at the time of Isha, meaning that I should have done Ghusl before Dhuhr, but because I was at the office, that's not possible. Of course, I now have to make Qadha of Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and pray Isha, it's no more time. But is that okay to delay Ghusl because we are at work? Now, this is a very common question, of course, especially in our recent times with more and more women um, outside of the house, and uh, however difficult that... Um, it might be this is one of the problems that we cause for ourselves And obviously it's impossible to get uh, uh, all women near a place where they can take a shower or whatever um, I mean it's great if you can uh, have these kind of uh, 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 facilities where women are working in places that do have showers Because and from an Islamic point of view let me make clear what the ruling is It is absolutely obligatory upon a woman to make that ghusl at the dhuhr time absolutely obligatory. There is some... Uh, um, okay, I think we're back again. My just paused for a second. Um, there is some leeway if, for example, you know that you are able to get home before Asr. Why? Because if you are able to get home before Asr, then you could make your Ghusl at home, and then you would pray Dhuhr and Asr combined at the later time, just making sure that you pray it before Maghrib. However, if you are in a scenario where you're talking about that you're not going to get home before Isha, then that means you're going to definitely miss the and Asar, and to intentionally do that and say, I will pray, you know, Qaza'a as we call, as Paks call it, alright, this Qaza'a prayer, intentionally done, planning it, is impermissible completely. In fact, it's one of the major sins, and therefore, I want to make it very, very clear. If you are unable to choose a job that allows you to cover for this, you know, this reality and have these kind of facilities and so on and so forth, and you must be out and need to be, you know, studying or working or whatever it is that you're doing or traveling, whatever it is, then that person is obliged to make tayammum, which is the dry ablution. And what that person will do is they will strike the ground once and they will wipe their hands and wipe their face this is Tayammum, and they will obviously discard of anything impure which from sanitary products and then they will pray in that state and they have to pray in that state they will not pray any sunnah prayers they'll pray just the obligatory so they'll pray just the dhuhr and then they will pray the asr as well there's some discussion do i need to make the tayammum again for the asr prayer in my opinion no the only reason you would need me to make tayammum again for the asr is if you went to the toilet in in between i.e you intentionally broke your wudu again but if you don't then using the same tayammum you pray the asr and then using the same tayammum you pray the maghrib and then when you get home then you make the full ghusl and the proper ghusl and then perfume clean oneself and then pray the isha and you do not need to make up the prayers that you prayed earlier on with tayammum but again a reminder to myself and to everyone that this is one of the dangers and the difficulties when our sisters are out of the home and obviously it's impossible to kind of regulate that in our time so they need to try to ensure that they can get these kind of services at work or in some kind of manner of some sort but if that's impossible and of course it will be many times then you must make tayammum and i hope that that's clear um, next question: If Dhuhr is at one p.m. and we need to now hurry up because there's still quite a lot of questions left and time, we really kind of didn't want to go over an hour. If Dhuhr is at one p.m., okay, we have not prayed, and at four p.m. before Asr, uh, which is uh, and Asr is at four thirty. So um, Dhuhr is at one. Okay, this is a good question. And Asr starts at four thirty, and it's now four o'clock. Which means what? It means you have half an hour left for Dhuhr. Correct suddenly a woman becomes on her uh, menses. Okay, so her period has started. So now what happens? Does she have to make up that dhuhr prayer? Because she didn't pray. Uh, She had the opportunity to pray and she didn't pray. And so now she should make it up um the answer is that to make up that prayer is a position of the majority of the scholars the majority of the scholars of the madhahib all the four madhahib in principle say that this person has to make up this prayer and the reason for that is because she had the opportunity to pray in fact she had three hours to pray and she shouldn't be delaying the prayer and of course in principle they are correct in that one shouldn't be delaying the prayer and the best prayer is the prayer prayed upon upon its time and we know that and there's no doubt about that that's fine But the question is, is that, is this the only position? Well, there is a minority position. I have to say that I find it compelling, and it's been the position which I've held and taught for many years, and that is that one does not need to make up that prayer. It's not a good practice delaying the prayer. It's against the Sunnah, but you still had the legal opportunity to make up that prayer at 410, 415, it would still have been a legal prayer. So as long as you still had a legal excuse to not have prayed at that moment, and then you were hit by the period or the menstruation starting, then you do not need to make up that prayer. Obviously on the safe side to go with the majority of scholars, if you make up that prayer after the menstrual cycle finishes, that dhuhr that that should have been prayed, then you'll be following the majority. But asking my position, I will be very clear upon this there is no evidence that in that means that you have to make up that prayer because you still had the legal time to make use to make that prayer before you had the menstrual cycle come i hope that that makes sense can menstruating women sit inside the mosque the prayer hall itself to attend the halaqa, yes they can, yes they can, I hold that position very clearly. Just got to make sure obviously that you know, no, no one no one, or nothing gets dirty or anything like that. And also of course that if the space becomes small and women come and women need to pray, then she should make way for the other women. Um, my husband, If my husband hugs me when he is fasting and he becomes aroused, but does not have intercourse with me, um, or any kind of sexual activity actually per se, does he then make ghusl? Or does it even break his fast and the answer to this is that no as long as he doesn't ejaculate he doesn't climax then it doesn't break his fast um and obviously if there's a risk then it should be avoided okay if one does ghusl after uh and then uh, uh she urinates when still in the bathroom then does she need to make the ghusl again or wudu? so she's done ghusl and then she urinates in the bathroom. Does she need to now make ghusl again or wudu? And the answer is she needs to make wudu only. Only wudu. Of course if the urine was to splash back on her then she needs to wash those parts away. She doesn't need to make ghusl. It's a big misconception this, that if something like najasa falls onto your hand, you need to make ghusl for it. No, you need to make ghusl. Ghusl means you need, you need to wash the hand. You don't need to wash the entire body as what we call a ghusl, a complete bath. No. So the only thing you need to do is make wudu. and if it came splash back upon the body then you need to wash those parts of the body um, the uh, next question is a uh, okay this is a long one um, it's about an indistinguishable discharge and i think it's an important one it is half white and colorless sometimes with a string of blood if it is usually containing strings of red brown then i would class this as istihada meaning irregular bleeding if it fell out of my actual menstruation dates my bleeding dates Now the problem is that it has fallen on a cycle day or what i would have expected to be a cycle day my cycle isn't necessarily 28 days either but it generally comes every month or two months i sometimes have the other physiological signs such as irritability and tenderness etc but sometimes i don't all with this whitish brown clotted discharge i've continued praying and making wudu for every salah is this correct and my answer is, is, that I believe that that is the safest position. If it happens outside of your menses period, this kind of thing, then the safest position is always to assume it to be istihada, irregular bleeding. You see, if it was just white discharge, we would have ignored it and said it's clean and pure and carry on. But when it has blood in it, then we, we uh, or it's bleeding with discharge, then we would consider it as istihada, and it's good then to clean oneself. And because the there's a big Big debate over over whether istihada, which is irregular vaginal bleeding, whether that's impure or not. And that's a position which is a risky one. One should assume that it is impure and wash oneself uh, accordingly. Uh, and for wudu, I've already told you that I do not consider it obligatory to have to make wudu for every prayer. But if one does, then, you know, it's something which is good, but it's not obligatory. But what the main point is, is that you would continue praying. It's not to be considered as menses. The end sign discharge is it an obligation for a woman to keep checking on her last day for her end sign before every salah? like how often should she do do it obviously the if, if one has a white discharge then whenever that discharge occurs, it's the end of the story. But for those women who don't, and they have to keep checking when the bleeding has completely stopped, then you don't need to rush it. We need to be careful. As I told you from the hadith of Aisha earlier on, that she was saying, don't rush, there's no need to rush. So, I, I don't know, it never has the Prophet or the or the companions ever said a time frame that every half an hour you need to chant or whatever. But sorry, if a person says every prayer, then that's a sensible kind of time frame. And I don't think that that's anything out of the ordinary, and I think that's okay. The um, uh, question is, what if I see an N sign, or something like a whitish sign, uh, and it's different from the previous blood days, on day five? And then on day six and seven, I see cotton, brown, and then yellow, what we call a sufra wal khudra. And then, with a complete clean, no discharge, on day eight, for the last few years. Okay, so, this is I'm going to say this again. You do see an N sign on day five which is the white Qasatul Wayda, is what I'm reading it as. And then day six and seven, we see Klotty Brown and so on. And then after, there's just clear discharge. And this happens all the time. How are we going to work out what this this uh, brown is? Is it part of the menses or not? The answer to this, and this is very important, is that the ruling which is given to this uh, brown and yellow is entirely dependent upon how well she recognizes her menstrual blood and how well she recognizes her general uh, uh, length of period so for example if she's very very regular and she's always been for example five days then already that's a big sign that anything after that is going to be outside of the period however if she's had regularly this kind of system where the a period is a long period of time like seven or eight days then we would consider it to be part of the period the key though to, to solving this is the white discharge the white discharge as I said she was called a and when the white discharge occurs then anything which happens after that, okay, which looks like the period, has to actually be period blood or menstrual blood for it to be considered part of the menses. Because that white has now canceled it. So the answer to this question is that day five, you're done, you make ghusl and you ignore this brown and yellow discharge. Why? Because that's exactly what Um Atiyah told us. Um Atiyah said that, after, tuhri, after this tuhr come out and we are now considered as pure, We never used to care about the brown and the yellow, meaning we would continue praying. And so therefore, again, if it is after the white discharge, it is not part of the menstruation. The only time that we would consider this yellow and brown to be part of your actual menstruation would be if there was actual menstrual blood mixed with it. And you could see it and smell it and the the normal characteristics. And you can actually Uh, see that there is a a white discharge after the yellow and brown. But she said very clearly, there is no white discharge after the yellow and brown. That white discharge happened at the five-day period. And for that reason, therefore, I do not consider this to be the actual menstruation. Okay. Um, In the Hanfi Madhab, we are told not to touch the Quran when on our cycle. However, in other Madhabs, it is permissible to touch the Quran with gloves on. Can Abu Isa please advise what is the exact ruling on the touching and the reading of the Quran whilst on our menstrual cycle. So one should uh, avoid touching the Quran. This is a general uh, agreement amongst the scholars. And so the physical touching of the Quran should be avoided. The Quran of course is that book which has more Quran Arabic in it than the English. So for example, if you came across a Tafsir book where the Quran was the minority uh, 40% and the Tafsir was 60%, even if it was in Arabic, or you came across an English book where the Quran text itself is 30% and the rest is English 70%, then this is not a copy of the Quran and you can use use it and you can turn it over etc etc however if you have a mushaf which is the majority quran of course or a book which is the majority of quran then one should avoid touching it and yes it is permissible to use some kind of barrier and so on and so forth so like gloves etc as a scholar said um so that is something which is permissible as for reciting the quran it is completely permissible there is no evidence whatsoever in the quran or sunnah that prohibits the woman from reciting the quran the final thing i'll say is electronic devices ipads iphones androids whatever they are so these things when the Qur'an is on the screen, this is a difference of opinion. So some of the scholars, they said that because it's a screen, and you know the screen is just basically LCD liquid. And so, um, I mean, I have to say, I'm, this this opinion is close to my heart because when, I, uh, when you give a ruling on a screen, you make a qiyas or an, or an analogy on a mirror. So for example, if you see a mirror and you see a reflection, or whatever or for example if we had a quran and we kind of reflected it in the mirror as such and you touch the mirror no one would say that you're actually doing something impermissible if you touch the mirror even though there is a picture and some argue that the screen the way the liquid crystal kind of displays when you're touching it it's not like the quran and therefore it's permissible However, the alternative opinion is that, no, what you're seeing in terms of the Quranic letters, even though they're not obviously ink and so on and so forth, but it's an actual representation of the mushaf. And therefore, you should give it the same rulings of the mushaf because you're treating it like a mushaf. You wouldn't, for example, put it in a toilet. You wouldn't open it. You'd have a heart attack if that came on. And you know that kind of self-fitrah in it? I think that's very solid. I like that as a position. And so therefore, my position is this, is that we should even treat electronic devices the same and it is permissible to change it Uh, The page and read it As long as one doesn't touch the actual middle of the text So if you are able to go to the bottom And press next whatever Without touching the actual mushaf or the lines Then I believe that's something which is permissible for you And if not then just recite it By listening to it and copying it That's something which is fine Okay Um, My menses usually begins with spotting dark brown spotting on date and on day two i wouldn't have any spotting on day three i will have spotting and my actual flow flow will usually start on day four this will last until day seven between day eight and day 12 and 13 so this five day period i will again have spotting be darker and brown and clean yellowish white and clear and then sometimes on day 13 after i have my ghusl and i have had a yellow and clear discharge then on day 17, I will have spotting and blood. I know that this is istihaba, irregular bleeding, because its smell and texture is completely different to what preceded before. My question is that on the days that I was clean, i.e day number two and day number nine and 10, what do I do? Do I do my ghusl? And the answer is, of course, is that no, up to day 13, All of this was menstruation, as I said before. All the spotting and then stopping and then starting again, whatever. As long as there's menstrual blood and signs there, then it goes. It goes all the way for as long as necessary. Even over 15 days, even up to 18 days, however long it is clear menstrual blood and the white discharge hasn't come or the yellow white kind of clear discharge hasn't come then it's all menstruation so the answer is that you did it right you do not make ghusl you carry on not not praying not fasting until that day 13 do your ghusl and then after that as you said if you bleed you know that's irregular bleeding you can still pray in that okay um does the ghusl requirement at the end of hayon involve removing pubic hair or is the removal of hair only linked to the general ruling of not exceeding 40 days? So the answer is that's correct. You, It is not linked to the Hayyad whatsoever. So when you make the Ghussal after you've uh, uh, finished the hair, then you do not... Uh, need to cut your nails at all is it permitted to go to the masjid yes i have said that already uh, i'm 45 years old and suffering from istihada irregular bleeding i don't have a regular habit for many years it used to be six and then eight ten twelve days but in the last year i'm actually missing periods for periods of six or months of time and then i had a regular cycle for three four days but then last month i actually uh, suffered uh, abnormal bleeding which lasted a whole month I started praying after realizing that this was irregular vaginal bleeding and it wasn't my period. But in the third month it became so excessive that I had to go and take medication to stop it. Once the medication stops, I'm gonna probably bleed again. Please explain the ruling that applies to me. The ruling that applies to you sister is that Now, obviously, nothing because you're not bleeding at all, and you don't need to, there's no blood and there's no ruling, and you carry on praying and doing whatever you want to do as per normal. And if you stop the medication and you start to bleed again, then what will happen is this you will try to remember a set time where you can choose a regular length. You said you can't do that because it's been all over the place. So, for the length, you'll go back to someone in your family, like your mother, like your sister. These are the the genetically women who are close to you and you will use their example. So they, for example, say we do five days generally generally, or six days. So that will become the length of your period. The second thing you will do is you will choose a start date. Because you're bleeding all through the month, it doesn't matter what day you start because it's an artificial thing that you're doing. So what you will do is that you will assume, for example, that um, the first of the Hijri month, for example, the first of the lunar month, Will become your first day. So, throughout this continuous bleeding, from day one of Muharram, for example, Happy New Year everybody. Happy New Year, Shazad. You're not going to congratulate me or anything like that. Unbelievable. Day one to day six will become the uh, 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 assumed period. Okay, so in that period of time, one will not then pray or fast or whatever. And then they will make ghusl and then they will continue to pray for the rest of the month. Remember, the whole bleeding is happening, you can't do anything, there's no distinguishing. So this is like an artificial, you've created an artificial period length and an artificial start date and you choose it and that's what you practice. You stay away from salah and fasting for that period of time and then the rest of the days for the rest of the month you will pray and keep yourself clean as usual. And as I said, you do not need to make gudu for every single prayer as my paper explains in detail. Uh, doubt and istihada. If you need to do istinja due to istihada every salah and wudu, which is very hardcore, okay, to keep doing this then do we just check our clothing or is a physical cleaning required? For example, there's a sister and she has seen irregular clotting. So for Fajr and Dhuhr and Asr, she sees clots in her underwear and she makes istinja and wudhu. But for Maghrib, she doesn't see anything in her underwear and so makes wudhu straight away. So she need to make istinja, istinja just in case, as sometimes the clot may still be inside. Apologies for the detail. That's not a problem. Um, as far as I'm concerned, she is from Ahl al adhar meaning she has a legal excuse and therefore she is not obliged to have to make istinja every prayer and not even wudu and she can bleed and continue to bleed and she tries to keep herself clean as possible but she's not obliged to change that as every single second and she's not obliged to take off her change her underwear every second she's not obliged to make a ghusl or istinja every second like i said in my opinion she only needs to do that if she actually actively breaks the wudu so for example she went to sleep or she had marital relations for example then she would need to have a full ghusl because it is permissible of course to have marital relations in my opinion and opinion of minority of scholars whilst one is having irregular bleeding um not hayd, of course um Next question, when the sisters are being advised to insert a piece of cotton, now just to give you a uh, context here, if you don't have the white discharge then one anha uh, uh, said that you would insert a piece of cotton to see whether the color changes, i.e. if there's any traces of blood. So if that happens, is this only permissible for married sisters? Um, I asked because I'm concerned about the real applications for virgin sisters who may accidentally break their hymen, which can have negative consequences on the wedding night and subsequently in married life, etc. And she says in brackets, I know that the hymen may break for many innocent reasons, but is it a means of safeguarding our sisters? Uh, Insha'Allah As things sad do happen Due to the lack of understanding Jazakumullahu khair My answer to this is That this is complete nonsense uh, uh, And this is a major problem of course And again a problem That the It's not the problem on the women side. Men have got to sweat it out Because to hold a woman In less regard Because her hymen is broken Just shows extreme ignorance Because they obviously Don't understand that Um uh, me put put it this way islamically speaking the hymen is not the the the, the hymen is not the marker of virginity uh, and the sexual relations sexual relations are the sign of virginity or the lack of I mean so so the hymen can be broken so many different ways and so many manners uh, one can do it themselves by you know uh, inserting the cotton or by sports or by riding or cycling and all this kind of stuff which is well known well known um, And so, no, it's men that need to be educated on this matter. And this is something which women need to do. Obviously, obviously, makes sense not to go too crazy in terms of the insertion of anything like that. But this is a time now where, you know, more and more women are outside and more and more women are using, uh, you know, products as well, like tampons and menstrual cups. And I'm not a big fan of uh, these kind of things. But, however, it's what people use and um, they are permissible. And if the hymen breaks... One shouldn't intentionally want to break it. Why shouldn't you intentionally break it? Because you're intentionally bringing problems for yourself. And we don't want to bring suspicion upon ourselves for no reason. Even though there is no suspicion even though there is no legal right for that suspicion and even though the husband has no right to cause a problem out of it he should use his brain but it's also not permissible to intentionally cause fitness for yourself and for other people because people then get stressed they want to know what's happened what's going on whatever and so if uh, so yeah okay if there is a sister who lives in a particularly ignorant area with a lot of ignorant men around and she knows that if she gets married then that guy and her family are going to go you know bananas are going to say what the heck's this oh we've got a woman who's damaged blah 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 she's this she's that she's unchaste and that whatever so when you've got this kind of non Around you, then sometimes you have to then make the sacrifice yourself. As a little girl said in the in the video, if you "Want people to be friends, then we have to come down from high, mean, just not to the floor, just straight where the heart is, and just keep it steady." Do you understand, that, Shaz? Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah, oh, men's the one. Men, men, men are the one that needs to fix it up, not women. I just want to let everyone know that Shaz literally is dying here. I can see it. He's absolutely gone. Shaz, lie down here. I'll get some sleep. He's bored of his brain. It's okay, it's okay, yeah. Um, I'm tired myself, Shaz, to be honest. Where's the Pepsi? It's that it's there, Gussam, there? Gussam, just open the thingy you there. A Pepsi, you man. Come on, Came come on, come on. Pepsi, no drink, no drink. It's all there, boys, all, all there. Okay, um, where are we now? When do we decide to make ghusl? For example, before sleeping, there are still traces of yellow discharge when waking up the next day after fajr. I realize there are no traces anymore, nor any traces when checking. Do I make ghusl immediately and must I uh, uh, pray my Fajr prayer Do I need to do that? And what if I've made ghusl when zuhr comes and then I notice a discharge? Is that still considered as my menses or is this my istihada? If this is considered as my menses, when do I, des- when do I decide to make ghusl then? That's a very complicated question, but basically the answer to that is that it's not considered menses after the blood has completely stopped and the white tuhr, the white discharge has occurred. Okay? As um, simple as that. When women have done things incorrectly in the past due to lack of knowledge of the fiqh of menstruation, what should they do in order to correct the errors of the past? And the answer to that is that they cannot do anything about that. They should make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for not uh, pursuing obligatory knowledge because this is obligatory knowledge. Um Um, And they don't need to make up for it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven us for those things that we don't know out of our ignorance and by mistake What happens if you are on your normal cycle for seven days and then you stop bleeding and after another seven days you start to bleed again But you cannot differentiate or feel confident to differentiate between whether it is Hayab, menstruation, or Istihada, irregular bleeding This is irregular bleeding of course, okay If there is a gap period if there's a gap period and there's an end sign to the bleeding, then this is considered to be your, menstru- your menstrual cycle. And the blood which happens afterwards is to be considered as istihaba. And Allah Taala knows best. Because this long period, seven days, is very difficult for that to be considered within a menstrual cycle. Very, very difficult. I know some people will say up to 15 days, both should be considered because seven plus seven gap and then more days. I'm, I'm afraid I can't accept that. Well, and Allah knows best. If one doesn't get a clear discharge at the end of their period normally, and, but normally just waits until the blood blood completely stops. How long do you have to actually be dry or blood-free before you have a shower and start to pray? The answer is immediately. This is a big mistake. Women kind of say, right, it looks like dry. Tomorrow morning will definitely be dry. No, if it's dry now, you must make ghusl and pray your isha now. You can't just say, let me go and sleep on it and then I will definitely be dry at Fajr time. This is a huge mistake. If a woman gets clear and yellow discharge normally during the time of purity, um, is the yellow discharge considered pure, like the clear, and it doesn't break, although like the clear it wouldn't, like the clear wooden and the answer is yes it is pure this is normal discharge let me just tell you something about this discharge clear white yellowish is not a problem this is what we call normal cervical mucus and that's fine what we're worried about is when it starts to go green when it starts to get brown and yellow because without for us that's a sign of either bacterial or yeast based infections um and it can be even worse of course if it has very uh very light colored uh blood Which is indicating some form of bleed, and that's that's something you know that. And I just want to make it clear. And a lot of sisters make this big mistake. They think that the Fiqh of menstruation is just about getting Islamic rulings to their their different discharges and blood. And what they actually forget is that many of these discharges are not normal. And so I want to say to you that just as you ask the scholar for the ruling on actually what happens with respect to your abada, you must go and see, uh, and uh, the GP should be able to deal with most of these. But normally you would want a referral to a gynecologist and it ensure that we don't have any uh, uh, infections or signs of PID, which is pelvic inflammatory disease, or any other conditions. And that's something from you know uh, certainly I want to you know bring bring that forth to many people. That's that. Um, that I don't know, they just they, they get lazy to the issue when you ask too many questions on fatwa they don't actually study the blood. I know this sounds sick, but I want you to understand you must know your own blood, okay? You must know your own blood because if you know your own blood, then you know exactly what it smells like, looks like, and, and its consistency. And therefore, if as long as you know it and it happens in that period of time, whenever it occurs at another time, you know that's your period. And whenever you bleed and it's not like that, then you know it's not your period. And so, whenever you are bleeding and it's not your period, you know that that's not normal. And anything that's not normal doesn't mean that you start to just uh, apply an islamic ruling to the not normal situation it also means you're not normal so you need to go to the doctor and make sure that there's not a a more significant problem that that is indicating or showing if the underwear becomes soiled with discharge and you can't tell whether it's white or yellow because of the color of the underwear especially if they are out about out and about and they can't wash the one underwear do they have to change into clean ones uh, there and then, that depends upon the discharge, of course. But if it's just normal vaginal mucus, as I described it earlier, like an egg white, like yellow, slightly, maybe you know, uh, clear white, then this is pure and so on. After having intercourse, a person makes ghusl, and then in the next few hours, though, she gets discharged again, which she thinks is leftover sperm from intercourse. Um, does she need to do ghusl again? It doesn't matter whether it's her own sexual fluids or whether it's his sexual fluids. If a person makes ghusl, um and there is no other and, and there is no repeated act of the of the of the relations, then one does not need to make ghusl again. And the sexual fluids are pure, they can just be cleaned away, and one does not need to do anything again because you already made a for it, and these are remnants. Okay. Um when is someone considered to have incontinence? Um, and this is because I wrote that paper about it, making it very clear. If one has IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, uh like symptoms, uh so and so experiences flatulence on random days, at random times, and doesn't know how long it will last, what should they do if they experience wind twice in 5 to 10 minutes, for example? How long should they wait to see if it stops? Um, or can they just ignore it and carry on praying? And the answer to this is that only you can determine this. The, the, the moment, the crossover, if you like, when it moves on from... Uh, something which is just an irritation to a real legal excuse for you because it is continuous, like incontinence, like it can't stop. is only a judgment that you can make. The scholars can only tell you that when it becomes unbearable, too difficult, it creates a real difficulty in your life keeping having to make wudu because you're having to make it every couple of minutes. At that moment, then you do not need to make wudu for it every time. That's my position. Read my paper in detail, okay? When does a pregnant woman stop praying? I.e., is it if they go to the hospital due to the pains um, but what if their labor lasts twenty-four hours? Do They have to pray during that twenty-four hours. Um, I want to make it clear that the, that the stopping of praying has no link to pray, has no link to pain, and it has no link to contractions. Okay, it's linked to the breaking of the water and the bleeding, which happens beforehand uh, slightly, which is called nifas, okay, or lokia, or whatever. So um, uh, one would have to have some contractions now, and they would consider this is the start. Now normally when people have contractions, when women have contractions, they generally are going to then give birth very soon. So it is not a problem for a woman to stop praying once contractions have started because this is the onset of labor. However, we also know that sometimes a woman goes into contractions and then she doesn't have the baby. She has the contractions for a couple of days and then there might be a break and then whatever. So if in that situation, during that period of time, she stopped praying and then she's back to normal again, it wasn't labor at all, I was paused for a second, but I'm back with you. Um, if a woman she did stop praying and then she realized that she wasn't in labour, then she can make up those prayers afterwards that she didn't pray. But the answer to answer your question, if you go into labour for 24 hours and it's a 24-hour labour in hospital, of course this is nifas uh, and this is one. This is a period you do not need to pray. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, if you have contractions and you give birth within two, one to two, three days. Uh, three days obviously maximum but normally two should be fine this is the period of time which one does not pray okay and as i said if it started to get really long really long really long and then after like three four days then there was a breaking of water whatever then this is safer for this two three original days to make up the prayer um with regards to not being intimate with your with regards to not being intimate with your husband whilst a female is having istihada meaning irregular bleeding What if she gets bleeding while she's ovulating and she wants to try to have children? Would that be allowed in this case? But I've already given you my opinion. I said it's completely permissible for uh, marital relations to occur while she is having irregular bleeding. Irregular bleeding is not menses. It is completely permissible. There's no evidence to suggest it. So yes, especially if they're trying for children, no problem. Um, I would never think about being able to keep wudu from the beginning of zuhr to asr as I get vaginal discharge, yellow and clear, during this period, every day. However, I don't usually get the discharge from the late evening till tahajjud time, usually. Although sometimes I do get it. Is this considered incontinence? I do also get yellow clear between the Asr al-Maghrib and Maghrib and Isha usually, or sometimes. The problem is that I I get clear... And yellow discharge interchangeably. However, I do have time to do wudu. And I can pray each prayer without discharge coming out. As it's not a 24-7 thing. It doesn't occur every single second. I don't know if I have incontinence or not. So the answer to you, sister, is that it doesn't matter whether you have incontinence. For me, this is normal vaginal discharge. And for me, as I said, it is pure. And for me, you do not need to make wudu when it comes out either. And so it's not something which you are obliged to clean or get rid of as well. Um, what are we saying here? Because we have a load of portal questions and so on and so forth we, we, we said not portal. We said just those questions and uh, we're about two minutes left oh what are the folks saying is everything okay or okay everything's yeah okay what does that mean who's the Amir and the Amira on the on the on the thing? what are they saying i don't care i know you, you just want to go home and watch the apprentice i don't care about you tell me what they're saying there quickly come on tell me whether i need to carry on or not Uh, there's another question here the days of pregnancy are calculated from the first day of the last menstrual period not from the day of conception the days of pregnancy are calculated from the first day of the last menstrual period not from the day of conception well done that's correct that's correct so if a woman has an early miscarriage at less than 80 days of pregnancy is the bleeding then not counted as nifas? Or should we calculate the days from from conception in this scenario to work out if the ruling of nifas applies or not? Did you understand the question, Shaz? I wasn't listening. I was reading these uh, comments. A waste of time you are. I want to say to the sister who asked this question, you deserve 10 out of 10 marks because you've asked a question which I don't know the answer to. And it's a flipping awesome question, to be honest. And... Um, realistically speaking we're only talking maybe i think maybe for you know in terms of days i guess we're talking around 10 ish days maximum i need to check that i'll need to check that that is a really good question because obviously we did cover the, the you know in the class we covered in the case of a miscarriage. Um, when is it that you need to actually uh, observe the rulings of postpartum bleeding, of nifas, of Lokia uh, And not pray uh, afterwards when you're bleeding, after the miscarriage And we discussed, you know, what, 0 to 40 and 40 onwards until 80 and then 80 until 90 uh, days And all of them have their kind of various uh, evidences because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says that the there's the alaqa of course, which is in general is not prayed for. The not-fa is definitely not prayed for. The alaqa is not prayed for. But at mudqa, mukhalaqa, and ghair mukhalaqa, the distinguishable or the distinguished kind of uh, that looks that slightly like creation and that which doesn't look like it. Uh, in general, that w- w- one should pray nifas. Uh, one should pray um, the uh, uh, one should consider. Sorry, beg your pardon. Uh, nifas afterwards when there's when there's blood. Um, but it is a difference of opinion, a, and I know that people might be, you know, heads might have been blown by that. But uh, in general, that is um, a good question. I need to go and check it out because if we are counting those days from conception, but you are only being told the days from your last menstrual cycle, then that's going to change all the dates. So I need to have a little think about that. Um, and is there any other questions? Is the fact that the vinegar uh, that is the fact that vinegar. This is nice, you know, about time we got rid from all the blood if the, Is the fact that vinegar is still pure not going to change I don't know what that is I don't know what's going on there I pretty much actually um, Answer them all Is it allowed for women who take the birth control pill To use it to stop their periods in order to allow them to pray For example during Ramadan Yes it's permissible, I don't want to say I advise it I, I In my Hajj group I sometimes have to do that for some sisters um, Especially with some progesterone as well Or some noethysterole at least um, in order because they get very upset about missing out on Hajj things I'm not a massive fan of that but I will give advice on that Islamically and medically but still um, And uh, let me make sure So what if a woman takes a certain medication which affected her period in a way that she doesn't bleed as usual But suddenly ejects white or yellow discharge like out of the ordinary Does she sit? Sit by the way is the is the Islamic phrase for meaning avoid the prayer So does she sit? No she does not sit for any kind of discharge only discharge only sitting is for actual menstrual blood that has the characteristics of menstrual blood. Everything else is to be considered as something abnormal. Abnormal meaning the one cleans himself from it in general and carries on praying. That's the that's the basic uh, uh, principle. Um, and uh, da, 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 da. I think we're done, bro. Oh, okay. There's one one more question. Uh, when a pregnant woman has a show, show it says. The unplugging of the mucus plug of the cervix due to the onset of labor. Should she stop praying? Is this the beginning of her forty days? So the answer um, to this is that uh, yes, that is the onset of labor. And as long as, as I said before, the labor then then ensues within uh, before you know forty-eight hours or whatever, then um, then we're good with that. But if, of course, then the labor continues for a long time without any kind of fluid flow, or whatever, then no and yes the period of time starts you know the period of time of nifas starts but as i made very very clear this idea that that nifas only lasts for uh, 40 days is something which has no strong evidence and likewise to be honest the opinion that 60 days the correct position is that nifas lasts as long as it is nifas the blood that is on day 2 and day 3 and day 10. If it's there on day 50, then you're still in Nifas and you still avoid the prayer. And if it's there on day 60 as well, then you avoid the prayer because it is that particular type of blood. However, if one then bleeds, continues bleeding and the nature of the blood changes, then that extra blood will be considered istihada, and the Nifas is the one that which is just gone. One would make Ghusl and pray and one would clean and keep themselves clean uh, from the Istihadah blood and Allah knows best.